if they don't have any board at all, um, BDC did a study on, on small and medium enterprises. And with boards, their sales went up 24%, their productivity went up 18%, and even three years later, there was a threefold increase in both sales and productivity. So wow. you're missing an opportunity for top yeah. and bottom line growth. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Mary Cameron, principal and founder of Ozone Advisory Group. I'm excited to talk to her today about all things related to good governance. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much, Heather. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background about you? Sure. I've had quite a varied career. Some would say eclectic. I've worked in both the public (laughs) sector and the private sector. I worked for uh, small companies and I've been CEO of of three private companies. I've been a deputy minister in two provinces and I was the CEO of the Alberta Workers' Compensation Board. At the time, it had uh, $3 billion in assets and 1,700 staff that reported to me. Once I, actually through my career, I've had the great fortune of sitting on boards with the companies that I'm working for or not-for-profits. And I realized I've sat on dozens of boards and I started to think about what can add value. As I moved into uh, post being CEO, I thought, what's the best way that an organization um, adds value? And my experience is boards can add value. And I sat on a lot of them. I sat on dozens. So I realized most of them didn't add as much value as they could or should. And so in the last five years or so, I've really concentrated on what makes good governance and how boards actually assist companies to achieve their purpose. So these days with Ozone, we create boards, um, we assess boards and help them move to a higher level of performance. And I've realized, because I'm also um, really a person grounded in my community, so I've always done volunteer work. And currently, I'm, I'm on the Habitat for Humanity International Board. And I realize, be it not-for-profit or for-profit, a crown corporation or government, um, governance is always a value. And for me, it's interesting work that gives me some flexibility in my schedule. I'm also uh, a mother, and I am really blessed. I have nine grandchildren, and I'm an Edmontonian. Well, that's a really, uh, as you say, a really maybe maybe a bit of a different approach that uh, to some of our other guests that we've had in terms of a career path. But I like how you you have had the the taste through the different um, you know opportunities that you've had in your career to draw that common thread around governance. And as you said, as you said, whether it's a, a government or a crown corp or a not for profit um, or a for profit company that there's this commonality of good governance that could 
add some value um, to a company and that perhaps the companies aren't all at that level where, where they think they might be or that the boards aren't, aren't operating at that level. So I really like how you've been able to, to take that thread and then turn it into something that, that can really be applied moving forward. Speaking of that and your, your, you know the, the dozens of boards that you've sat on, what trends do you see uh, for the boards that have got it right? So when they are effective, what, what are the underlying trends that you see for the boards that are, are, are being successful? So the table stakes for boards is that they've got a basic structure. They know what the shareholders want. Um, they have a, a sense of what success looks like. Um, they've, they've got a charter, so they understand what they're there for. Um, mm-hmm. There's also, you know, agendas that spend the majority of their time on forward-looking items, so strategy and risk, things that are in the future, not in the past. So we have an mm-hmm. acronym for it. Um, there's hindsight and oversight, which most boards do, and they do it quite well. But then there's the foresight and the insight. And the trend is to spend more time on the foresight and insight, add value, and help uh, achieve future success rather than just oversee and make sure that there's a lot of compliance with legislation and rules. So that's one trend. The other trend is a recognition that it's not just a group of people that know that industry and business well. So it's not the retired executives or the past advisors to that company. It's people with different voices and different experiences that can bring that experience from a different industry and put a different spin and create a new opportunity for a business. So the whole concept about diversity, which is a different Mm. way of thinking and it's protecting your future against what might be and fill it with possibilities. So I Mm. see it's a great opportunity for women because women have a tendency to have a different perspective. And just because we're not on as many boards, we bring a different view. So I see the trend for diversity. I see the trend for strategy. I see the trend for um, not being well, being collegial, but not being um, just accepting the status quo. It's not a matter of saying that was a great meeting because we laughed a lot and had a good time. It's a great <laughs> right. meeting because maybe we were sitting on the edges of our chairs. We were a little uncomfortable with the discussion. There was pushback. We pushed back. And so you can disagree without being disagreeable. You can have the tricky conversations that end up with a better understanding of what the future possibilities are. So those are the trends I see. I really like how that that focus on the on the the foresight and the insight really leads to that that trend around incorporating diversity uh, because that's not looking backwards over your shoulder in terms of what has happened, but it's really focusing on the on the possibility and with diversity the you know, the underlying theme there is really around how can we make a difference and how can we be impactful and how can we bring different opportunities to the table. And so I, I think that's a really, a really neat theme that, uh, that those two things seem to work together. You know, one of the things we've been doing through Ozone is we're actually offering a private company governance course targeted at executives and board members talking about what's the best board you could create? What should it feel like? How do you structure it? And what should the agendas be and how you actually get to that high performance. And we're finding, although we're delivering it on Zoom, we've got the interactive breakouts, we're finding it's hugely valuable for the participants to understand that they shouldn't just 
take any old board. They should take a high-performing board, demand a high-performing board. And one of right. the elements there, of course, is, is the chair. Right, of course, yeah. Yeah, so much turns on on the chair, just in terms of setting the tone, uh, setting the expectations, and really, I think, managing the expectations, both for the other board members, but also for that really important interaction between the board and and management, um, and how how that looks and how that, you know, how that should, should really unfold as the company matures and, and evolves. We well, see so you speak from wisdom, because I know you sit on boards. But the, the old version of a chair was, you know, the large in charge. Uh, talk to yeah, the beginning yeah. of every um, comment or agenda item to frame the discussion, to pull people right to the Goldilocks, not too big, not too small. So it was almost <laughs> yeah. determined where you'd go. And that chair was really the one who commanded everything. Um, I, I guess it's another trend we're seeing that chairs are now, you know, the chief governance officer. They manage the process. They make sure they make the most of every voice around that table. So they yeah, hear from yeah. them all in a constructive yeah. way. And so that's a really different looking chair than what we used mm-hmm. to look for and seek. Talking about about that that shift in sort of how the chair has that that position has evolved and boards hopefully have evolved and your comment around wanting to demand a, a high performing board, what's the other side of that? Like, what happens to an organization that doesn't practice good governance? If they don't have any board at all, um, BDC did a study on on small and medium enterprises. And with boards, their sales went up 24%, their productivity went up 18%, and even three years later, there was a threefold increase in both sales and productivity. So wow. you're missing an opportunity for top yeah. and bottom line growth. <laughs> so Pretty compelling. That's compelling. <laughs> but, yeah. And if you have a board that's, that's good, you'll still provide that focus and the discipline. It still will be better, most often, than no board at all. But to take it to that next level where you're creating alignment and a bulletproof strategy and you really understand where and how you want to go, um, it, it's just a, an opportunity that's worth striving for. And it does take some work. A great board is not made in a month or even a year. It, it's developed over time. And frankly, it doesn't stay a great board without continued effort and injection of energy and skills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. And I think one of the things that the boards really need to focus on is their own succession so that they can maintain that high performance. Like, as you say, it, you know, it takes a little while for them to come together and gel. But then as as board members transition on and off as their terms are up, I think it's really important for those boards to, to think very deliberately about what what skills they need and what's the culture on that board so that they can maintain that high level of performance. And so all the great work that they've done to get them to that high performing state doesn't just, you know, just doesn't lose when a particular board member leaves or uh, transitions out. Well, you said several things there. Um, One, the skill sets. And and that's not static either. As your business changes, Mm -hmm. you need different skills. So you should do an annual assessment of what skills and really granular. You just don't need a finance person. We just don't need a lawyer. You need somebody who's maybe been in in patent law or you need somebody who has worked in um, equity and and debt financing. So be really specific on it. The other thing, I think each board and each director should do an annual evaluation of the board performance and their own performance. Mm-hmm. And I also question the the value of term limits. So if you've got a chair who's got the confidence and courage that they should have to do an evaluation, 
I don't think a term limit actually helps because you might end up saying goodbye to a board member that you really want to keep. But I've seen a lot of term limits let people be complacent and say, oh, they only got another year. I'm going to I'm going to sit it out. Yeah. yeah. Rather than saying, you know, let's talk about this, the skill sets you've got and where we're going. Do you really think you're the best fit and move them out when they need to go? And that way you can keep the good ones and you can move through, you know, the majority refreshment is good. But I think term limits takes away a tough decision, but might not be optimal. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Agreed. And I think, I mean, there's so in, in some boards and, you know, Crown Corps in particular will have baked in term limits that will be hard to overcome from a legislative perspective. But that's not to say that you can't perhaps shorten a term in the event that that the the, the, the organization has evolved and the skill set is now something different. So I think it is really important. And that's probably one of the things that I've noticed on the boards that I've sat on. Where you, when you have a good chair who isn't threatened, I guess, by by a term limit or a cap on a on a on a term for a particular director and they're willing to have that evaluation. I think that's one of the, the the trends that I've certainly noticed that keeps a board functioning at a very high level and being very dynamic and responsive as opposed to those boards that don't take that responsibility of that self-reflection and the evaluation of the group as a whole seriously and they don't have those tough conversations and they just say, well, there's, you know, this person's almost at the end of their term. So once they're at the end of their term, we'll we'll wait it up. They take the easy path, and yeah. succession should be um, tricky. It, it's like the, a lot of not-for-profits. You know, you have your secretary, treasurer, first vice president, second vice president. So after an eight-year runway, you become chair. Well, right. you may not be the person who really right. is needed at that point. And so I don't think That's you should right. have that long a runway. And it shouldn't. It, it should be really based on what the organization needs at that point in time. I work with lots of startup companies and and companies, entrepreneurs who are growing and scaling their their businesses. And one of the things that I hear them say is that they're very used to sort of calling the shots and acting very quickly and being nimble and able to respond to events and circumstances that come up. I hear from them sometimes that they don't necessarily want to give up that ability to quickly react and and respond and pivot. And so they're leery in some cases of of transitioning away from being the, you know, the solopreneur and the the sole guy who's in charge to having a board and having maybe some more slow conversations and a little bit more deliberate action. What's the other side to that story? Why should they consider having a board? So interesting, Heather. Actually, in our course, our private company governance course, I give the 10 reasons why you should have a board above and beyond, you know, the increase in sales and productivity. So there's absolute evidence there on the financial, but I give 10 other reasons. And the number one reason why you should is the discipline and focus. And the number one yeah. reason why entrepreneurs don't want it is the discipline and focus. <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's really yeah. easy to say, I don't want to be tied down. But companies yeah. that are successful have the discipline to follow through, to plan, you know, to go back and evaluate. Yeah. And so that's something they have to give up. And we've found going to a lot of entrepreneurs and talking with them, they say, I know I should do it, but we can't win that emotional argument with facts. And so they have right. to come to Absolutely. the conclusion I'd rather go for long-term success. And we can demonstrate to them that boards don't have to slow you down. That boards, even in a startup, 
can be extremely advantageous. They feel different than in a well-established company. But in the oh, last two years, my partner and I have set up uh, five different startup companies with boards. And one of them, in their first two meetings of operation, um, saved almost a million dollars that they said wow. were real actual savings in our operation, got them to market wow. faster, that they wouldn't have done without that board. So I don't yeah. think there's any time that's too soon or too late um, if yeah. you if you know why you want it and you get your right skill sets and those expectations are laid out, I know we found we can match an organization's need with a board that can be responsive to the shareholders' intentions. Huh, so we, we have the evidence that it's yeah. great for startups, not not when they're getting the seed capital. I think they actually have to be there, but but certainly before Series yeah. A, because it can mm-hmm. give them the discipline to actually present to those potential investors. Here's our business plan, and there's a, a lot of focus and rigor to it. I know we were working with one company, and they, in their Series A, we actually heard from the, the lead investor after. Um, the presence of the board and the caliber of that board gave us great confidence. We don't know if we would have carried through with that funding had it not been for the caliber of the board. Wow, that's so very I, compelling. I think it's quite, quite appropriate for early-stage companies. So assuming that they're convinced, assuming that those entrepreneurs and those early stage companies are convinced to, you know, to, to move down the path of discipline and, and focus, how do they go about acting on the idea to form a board? That's so tricky. And frankly, that's <laughs> the reason that Darren and I formed Ozone. Because oh. we kept, like I was, I'm on seven boards and Darren is on eight, either as chair or directors. And we kept yep. being asked to join another board and both of us kept saying yes, and we realized this wasn't a, an endless opportunity. <laughs> right. The reason we kept saying yes is because we believed in the value of board. So we turned it and yeah. said, you know what, um, our answer isn't yes for us, but we can work with you in setting up that board. But you don't need to use ozone. Um, the, the, the critical thing is to write down the shareholders' intentions. Know what you want from a board. Figure yeah. out if you want a fiduciary board or an advisor, and a fiduciary board is actually accountable for the operations of the organization. An advisory board advises the CEO and sometimes the shareholders. Um, mm-hmm. We actually like them to feel very much the same for the accountability in the operations. Then you establish a skill set. So you figure out what your business needs, what you've got in your management team, where are the gaps, where you want to go and grow, and you get really granular on what sort of skills and experience you're going to look for. Then you start by finding that really critical chair, somebody who yeah. understands they don't want to be a CEO. They don't want, and we often suggest that the chair should be somebody not from the industry, just so mm. there won't be any competition between the CEO yeah. and the chair. They should be coach, advisor, and really designed to make sure the process of the board adds value. And then one at a time, you add your directors three or five, we're a big fan of small boards. Yeah. Because yeah. then you've got the accountability. It's less expensive. Um, if you're really careful in your selection, you can cover all your skill sets. Interesting. Can you, do, can you talk a little bit about whether you see, so sometimes, I guess, let me back up. In my practice, sometimes I see um, entrepreneurs who, who know they want to go there. Um, they know they want to get to a board and they, they're sort of, they, they want to dip their toe in the water a little bit because they're still wrestling with that uh, discipline and focus and, and, and that control element. Is it a, a, a stepping stone 
uh, sequence perhaps that you see where uh, you might go from being the sole guy, the, the little tiny startup company, to having an advisory board with the intention of transferring or, or transforming that into a fiduciary board at some point in the future? Sure. And, and I would actually recommend to most yeah. people, start with the advisory board. You can hire and fire them at any point. Exactly. You know, if it's yeah. not working. Um, yeah. And as long as you're clear with your expectations, you'll be able to work through it. To move from an advisory to a fiduciary board is not complicated at all. There's right. a couple of exactly. things you have to do. You might want to change yeah. your skill set and you might need a little bit more insurance. But I would yeah. recommend starting with that. There's a couple of times when that hasn't been the case um, is if somebody wants to go immediately for like for Series A and, and wants to show yeah. they've got a fiduciary board. Or sometimes in family-owned organizations where there's a transfer of power, um, the the Typically, it's the dad doesn't want to be making those decisions with respect to daughter or son, you know, cousin mm, or yeah, nephew. Yeah, yeah, and so they course. put the fiduciary board in place to actually take responsibility for it. Yeah, but mostly yeah. we say it's easier. It's an easier step. So let's start with the advisory board. Yeah, I see that quite a bit. And in fact, it's, it's interesting, um, de- depending on the industry and depending, of course, on the on the specific dynamics of the companies. Sometimes what what I've actually seen is they've set up an advisory board in the first instance. That's worked really well. They, you know, they get the full buy in and, and then they, they transition that to a fiduciary board. But then they say, you know what, I don't want to give up the advisory role. And so maybe they look for different people or some of those people transition to the fiduciary board. But the entrepreneur still really finds some value in that coaching or that advice that is received from the advisory board. And they want to maintain that role, even though they've now transitioned fully into into that fiduciary capacity. And, and we certainly see that as an opportunity. And we think actually even with some private equity, there might be that. We want the advisory board or council and the fiduciary yeah. board. But when we're setting them up, we want both boards. Like we want the fiduciary board to provide coaching. Um, we yeah, actually yeah. recommend yeah. management teams don't bring everything fully baked to the board. And boards shouldn't be out there trying to find the flaws in what's in front of them. But if you talk about things in directionally we want to go here, these are the things we're thinking about and you get input and feedback. So it's an iterative process to develop the strategy or the particular business plan. Then you are getting the coaching and advice, even from a fiduciary board. But it takes a long time to develop that trust. I know early on when I was reporting to a board, my goal would be just to make sure they didn't add more work or or, or you know, take <laughs> right. the the team into a place where we didn't want to go. So it was a matter of management controlling the board. When you really take a spin on that and say, I want to get value from the board, you need to be a bit vulnerable. So it takes a while to develop that trust, that culture, Mm -hmm. that we're in this together. Uh, We have different roles, but we absolutely don't need to see something that's a finished product that's either an approval or a, a denial. Right. I want to pick up on that on that comment about about culture. So as a, as these entrepreneurs are are scaling up and as they're uh, becoming disciplined and becoming focused and creating these boards, what can they do or what can their organizations do to create the culture or the environment for the good governance to work? Oh, that's such a great question, Heather. Books have been written on that, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to profess to have the answer. But I think a lot of it is to live your values. Make sure the things you say you value, you really do. And mm-hmm. then live them. Yep. 
and yeah. and seek that same culture at the board that you've got in your management team. And so, yeah. you know, if, if nimbleness is there, expect the board to be nimble. You know, if, right. if you're looking for um, innovation, then you want that everywhere. You want your agendas to have something innovative in them, the discussions to be innovative. So you absolutely try to create that alignment and synergy with, you know, value in the management team with value at the board. And then yeah. I would plan events like every single agenda should be different and it should be sprinkled with different events different experiences uh, regular learning opportunities joint opportunities for learning for management and the board so you develop as a team and you're constantly mixing it up so you solidify down into the values through all new and different experiences you never let people just settle into their comfort zone and expect the yeah, same mold. Yeah, yeah. I also think that it's re- really important, as you as you say about the management of those expectations. And I think again, it's really critical to have a key, um, the chair in in that role who's going to embrace those learning opportunities and the diversity, even from a from a as you say from an agenda perspective, and making sure that we've got different things interspersed throughout our regular regular scheduled programming, um, and making sure that that there's those opportunities to seek out those defining moments that will will enhance that culture. And so I think, as you say, when you're building your board, you really need to start at the top with the chair because if you don't have that uh, willingness or that attitude, I think it will be really difficult to get the right culture and, and make sure that you have a similar culture at the management and at the board level. We also highly recommend that the board members don't have a previous life together. So you see an awful lot of boards where they've all been on boards together or they've all come from similar companies or industries, but they know each other. So there's an awful lot that's similar about them before they even start. Whereas the friction that happens when you're introducing new people with different backgrounds adds energy. And you really, at the end of every board meeting, you want your management team to be really tired because they've worked hard, they've been grilled, (laughs) they've been pushed, they know they've got to be the top of their game. But they're also inspired. My goodness, if these people are on board and they believe all this, this is good. So we always say we we strive for tired and inspired at the end of the meeting. And so that's not a group of people that know each other and share jokes. You know, it's people who really are contributing to the purpose of the organization. And and that also that also just, you know, says diversity in a different way, right? Like if you don't all know each other, um, then you're you're able to probably ease in a, in an easier fashion elicit those different opinions than you would if you knew, oh, you know, I've been on this board with Bob and I know exactly what he's gonna say about this issue, right? If you don't have that preconceived notion, you're better able to elicit the different opinions that are so important to having a, a fulsome conversation. Great. Well, Mary, this has been really interesting and so grounding. Where can our listeners find out more about Ozone Advisory Group? We have a website. So go to Ozone Advisory Group and check us out. We've got the programs there. And we're really excited about governance. (laughs) My kids say, Mom, you know, that's really a boring topic. And it's not at all. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell I don't think it's boring. And neither does my partner, Darren Rawson. So at any point, we really welcome people calling us and talking with us about their governance journey and whether or not we can help or there's other people who are really great in this field too. So uh, there's certainly enough governance issues to go around. So we could advise, you know, other people that could help them. If, if it were not right, um, or even if they want to do their journey on their own, that's perfectly okay. We believe in this. 
So we would uh, welcome any, any inquiries. Well, well, great. Thank you for taking time to chat with us today about the good governance and the opportunities that it creates. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.